When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same-day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But I'll, I'll have, what um, do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Can have it. You, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome to episode 106 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me in my basement, Chuck Edlin. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. What's up, man? Oh, dude. You know, enjoying life. Mm-hmm. We're finally getting like a little bit of like decent weather. It's a fake spring. Don't don't fall I know. for it. I know. I'm sure it'll snow like 16 it, feet next week. It's actually supposed to, yes. Oh, jeez. Okay. Two, two well, inches-ish. Yeah. Ish. And it, it seems like, you know, I was having this conversation the other day with Sam. Every time we try to go up there and do what he wants to do and go over those cliffs, it doesn't work. It snows. Yeah. It, I told him it's a bad omen, man. It's just not meant you, to be like. You're not supposed to go there. Yeah, we're going to die on that that hillside. And I tell him this, and he says, it only makes me want to go down there more. I'm like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. So that, he's the kind of guy, like, I I don't know. I feel like if, if he was back in the day and like, you know, a grizzly bear or something mm-hmm. almost ate him or like. Yeah. Indians kind of like give him like a little warning. I feel like he'd be that dude and be like, oh, no, they want to talk and hang out. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So that's Take what's it easy, going Sam. on in my life. Yeah. He's, he's dragging me to the worst places on this planet and I just continue to follow for some reason. Well, you're a good follower. It's I the guess. adventure, man. Yeah. It's the adventure. I get that. Hey. I get that. I found sheds the other day. You did find sheds. I'm so proud of you for finding sheds. You found two of them. Two. A match set. Was it a match? It was hundred percent. Dude, they you were they so? were right beside each other. Oh well, same they were. exact bases, which is all I have. To yeah, really judge that one is just one so like it's so eaten. It's up, so yeah. eaten, man. These freaking squirrels. Yeah. You gotta take Seaburn out there and get rid of all those squirrels. That's what I need to do for yeah. sure. Yeah, for well, sure. After they cut all the trees down, I don't think there's it not gonna be any. Squ- I keep forgetting <laughs> that too. That property is just oh my. Yeah, that was the only untouched side, and I was like, you know what? I'm going in. I got these plans and i'm on the marco polo group with the patreon guys and you and 
I'm like, what are you guys doing right now for sheds? Because this is my plan. I'm like, I don't really have one, but I'm going to walk the edge of these, these just these ridges and south facing, yada, yada. Basically, if you were to write a book about an area of where you find sheds, that's the spot I was looking. Well, right? it's funny because you even mentioned in that group, you were like, dude, I just walked this last year, just mm-hmm. like 50 yards up probably, yeah. walked yeah. right past Because they were definitely last year's sheds. Oh, 100%, if yeah. not older. I mean, they yeah. were they were really beaten up and, and chewed on pretty good. But yeah, there's like a really, really steep ravine that cuts through the property. Yeah. And if you go up the hill higher, you can cut across and get across it where it's not so bad. Yeah. There's like a trail up there. But down where the sheds were... You can't go across. I mean, it's straight down, straight back up, probably 40 feet both sides. So I didn't go down there. I think actually Joe went down there, but we weren't, we weren't even shed hunting. I mean, I think we were just, it was two years ago, the last time I was down there with him. Mm. And then last year I did walk by myself right past there. So listen, a shed's a shed, dude. Oh yeah. I'm down for it. I'm stoked that you found some. I was impressed with myself finding it i double triple took on it yeah because it was just a tine sticking up i sent that original but i think I, well no maybe i didn't send you that. sent a video you were like yeah what is that <laughs> what, what is that <laughs> that's right like, i don't know what to- is that totally buried just yeah. just you know the g2 and g3 sticking up and i grabbed it and i was so pumped i turned around right up at the base of the tree behind me was the other side in my opinion the other side and if you look, the bases are really unique the way that they're kind of bladed yeah. and they got a bunch of junk on them. They're, I mean, they're identical. Yeah, that's really cool, man. So, I was pretty pumped, man. Yeah, dude. Well, before we get into this podcast, let's talk a little bit about our partners. Absolutely. We need to talk about, first and foremost, ScreeGear.com. ScreeGear.com. They are... You're wearing Scree right now. I am wearing Scree right now. How do you... How can you describe the quality of their products to someone that's never worn Scree? Well, let me put it this way. This is like my lounging shirt because mm-hmm. it's so soft. I absolutely love this shirt. This is the Wasatch. Yep. Um, it's actually a base layer, but I wear it as like a regular shirt just around the house. Like it's, it feels like pajamas. Yeah. This honestly. time of the year, I wear the Wasatch because it's, it's extremely like comfortable. It's, it's comfortable. Durable. It's thin. Um, it's moisture wicking, which mm-hmm. is also very nice. But yeah, super duper, super duper awesome stuff, guys. Go on, check it out. They have all kinds of guarantees. They're VIP size and guarantee. You they're know, doing, lifetime guarantee. They're doing the 14 days money back Super guarantee cool. right now. Super cool. And pretty much all their stuff is like 20% off their, their bundle stuff, yeah. which is the way to get into this. Is absolutely. And if you get a turkey bundle, you get a free pot call. That's just unheard of. That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. Yeah. But use our code WDP20, get yourself 20% off your first purchase. Yep. Next one is VIP Archery. Yeah. I have plans to use a guillotine this year, man. The new guillotines are out. I am freaking stoked. I'm building a new arrow setup. It's going to be off the hook. Yeah. I know we talked about this, but we are getting Matt on very soon. I, I'm stoked. It, we've kind of fallen off and, and it's my fault, but I'm going to get a hold of him. We'll get him on. We're going to talk about all these new <laughs> products because we talk about it, but he's going to do it so much more justice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have some other partners that we should talk about, too. Uh, well, I ordered you some calls today. You did. You did. I'm actually really excited because we've been using them for a long time. Mm-hmm. A&F Custom Calls. They are going next level. He wants to expand. He wants to get larger. He's trying to get in stores right now. My boy Kyle Allen, he's doing big things. A&F Custom Calls. Use the code WDP for free shipping. And $1 of those calls goes to Allegheny National Forest, yeah, which so is be, also awesome. You're helping conservation, guys. Yeah, be a conservative. Yeah, be a conservative. <laughs> Be a conservative. See what I did there? That was cool. Good for you, man. 
And some other partners that we should mention too. Yeah. We just want to do a huge shout out, huge thank you to Out Only Manufacturing and New Canoe as well for Absolutely. always supporting us and having our back. Yeah, that's it. So. Well, we have a really cool guest this week. It's a fun one. We've been excited about this one. A PA girl. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. What? This one's been in the works since last summer. Yeah. Yeah, it has. There's been like kind of like a little bit of a rivalry, not a rivalry, but like a fun inside joke. That yeah, nobody like a else fun understands. inside joke that nobody even like remotely understands, I guess, unless you're from this area. Yeah. Yeah. Just to explain, and I think I might have explained it on that podcast, but me and Rachel, like we bash heads. Yeah. Because we, we have a very similar personality as well. We're both extremely competitive and, you know, Pennsylvania pride, baby. Yeah. Pennsylvania pride. Rachel Bouchak. Bitty Boosh. Bitty Boohoosh. We got her on, man. And it, does not disappoint. I do want to comment though. We were trying to zoom. She lives in the middle of nowhere where there's she was running a hot spot. Yeah. There is no internet. You may not understand this, but there is no internet. Like she was trying to run off her phone hotspot. Yep. So I clean it up as best as I can, guys, but it's still a great episode. Yeah. If you hear any of the little ins and outs, that's just to explain what happened with yep. this one. But the content is there. This is really good. Let's get her on. We are back with another great, exciting episode. We have a Pennsylvania deer slayer. Oh, man. On the other side. Yeah. We're not going to make this an official deer slayer series, even though this is what we brought her on for. That's right. I said her, which Rachel, by the way, we're with Biddy Bush, Rachel Bushack from Northwest Pennsylvania, the greatest region of Pennsylvania. Let me tell you, she is offering free pins on X pins after this episode. So stay tuned till the end. <laughs> Rachel, what's going on? Hey, happy to be here. I'm just glad you didn't call me a huntress. <laughs> oh, no, we would never do such a thing. That is a swear word. Can't believe you even just said that on our podcast. You can say any other word, just not that one. <laughs> <laughs> Bleep it out. Sorry. That's okay. I'm just messing. But it is good to have you on. What I was mentioning was the article that you posted a little while back with your mother. And I remember in that article, I saw the words Deer Slayer. And I was like, man, she is perfect for this Slayer series. But we decided you have too much interesting things to talk about that we're not going to waste an episode just talking about tactics and breaking into it too deep. We're going to go more of the route, our normal episode, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe like closer to the season, we'll bring it back and we'll do like another Deer Slayer. You know what I mean? Yeah. We got to have a return guest coming on. Yeah. I mean, when you hail from the greatest Northwest region of Pennsylvania and you're so well honored, I feel like we need <laughs> some kind of advice out of you. <laughs> okay. So let's just break it down. Nobody probably even knows like the inside joke. Rachel and I met when we were at the WCB shoot in Illinois, of all places. We're both from Pennsylvania. We were both crazy, drove eight hours out to Illinois to shoot with the boys. And we get in this like super argument about Northwest, West PA, because we feel like we're Northwest. Yeah, yeah. But you beg to differ. What do you think about that, Rachel? You'd be West Central. <laughs> <laughs> so what's new? What's going on in the land of Northwest PA? Uh, this time of year, not a whole lot. We got some more snow last night, so I haven't even been able to get out shed hunting. I had COVID, so I, well, I don't know that I had COVID, but I assume I had COVID, so I didn't even get out ice fishing. So it was kind of a crappy winter so far. I'm, I'm excited for the warm weather this weekend so I can get out and find some sheds. I'm right there with you. I've been kind of like bummed about how much snow we've had recently and like it's finally all melted off. So 
I'm excited to get out, do put some boots on the ground. I think Saturday maybe I'm going to go and take my daughter and do the trout stalking. I think she'd like that. But I don't know. Maybe Sunday I'm feeling like uh, taking a little walk. Heck yeah, man. I think we should. My husband Andy's beating me in sheds by far because he was able to get out a little bit when I was sick. So I've got some catching up to do. Oh, that's cheating. It's everything. It everything's a competition in our house. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It kind of makes it fun, though. Oh, yeah. Everything's, I mean, the friendliest of competitions, but everything's a competition. Yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that you chose five top deer to put on the wall, so there will never be a tie on the wall. Mm. You, you want to explain well, what your thought process was there? Yeah. So before we hopped on, I was showing them our, our new trophy room. We closed off our garage and kind of made it into our, I would call it a man cave, but I'm not a man. So our little trophy room and one wall like the main wall you see when you walk in only fits five deer. And so we decided to make, we called our power five. It has our, our top five shoulder mounts. And um, three of them right now are mine and two are Andy's. Uh, so he's, he's trying to get another big one to oust my lowest rent. Cause I'm out of the five. I have the smallest. Uh, so mine would be the next to go. So it's always a competition of who has more in the power five. <laughs> now is that uh is that any weapon wall it is any weapon so he okay. has he has the biggest overall he has a 165 and then the next two biggest are mine i've got a 159 and a 155 so he argues you know he has the biggest i'm like okay but if you add the top two my top two be his top two <laughs> so <laughs> Not that it's about score, guys. It's not. But we just, we make everything a competition. It's more fun. <laughs> yeah. Now, those are some slammers. And we mentioned, you know, four out of the top five are from Pennsylvania. And there's one Ohio mm -hmm. deer up there, which is pretty, yeah. pretty impressive. I mean, some of those numbers you just mentioned, you would have thought we were talking about an Ohio podcast, you know, right now. Like, this is, <laughs> this is what we're talking about. We're all in Ohio. But really... Four out of five on the on the top five of your walls from PA. And you guys hunt Ohio a lot, too. It's not like you're just over there once in a while. Well, we do now the last couple of years. I didn't start hunting Ohio until like four years ago. Mm -hmm. And really, my husband got me into hunting Ohio. When we started dating, he would go out to Illinois, go to Ohio. He's going out west. And I'm, I'm like, I understand the out west hunting, but... I didn't really understand. I was like, why are you going to another state to hunt whitetail? Like we got so many deer here, you know? And I never really, cause I never got into like watching the hunting shows and like, I didn't really understand like what the Midwest was like. And so he took me to Illinois one time. I'm like, okay, now I get it. Like, <laughs> I mean, not, not only like big deer, but just having the opportunity to kill multiple bucks a year is pretty exciting. So now, yes, we hunt Ohio a lot. Yeah. That's pretty cool. We've done a little bit of hunting in Ohio. I mean, I should say I've done a little bit of hunting in Ohio. Charles has done a lot more hunting in Ohio. And, you know, he's gone out west on the whole Illinois thing and a couple other states. I think you're talking about Kansas this year. Mm -hmm. um, I do really enjoy hunting out of state. It, it's something that's really cool. And it's kind of neat that you kind of learned a little bit more about it. You're getting a little bit better understanding about it. And, you know, I guess you're just going to have to just keep adding to that five until it's all you, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the goal. You're going to need a Pennsylvania wall. Yeah, no, I mean, I started hunting. I mean, I guess to back up, I started hunting yeah. when I was 12. Well, you can tell we're really bad at running a podcast because we just skip past the introduction part and just pretend like everyone knows you. <laughs> so, yeah, take us back. Uh, bring us back to an introduction. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. 
No, sorry. I couldn't tell if it was just like the delay because my internet's bad or anyway. No, I started hunting when I was 12, but I started out just gun hunting. And, um, you know, my dad got me into it, obviously, when I was a kid. And I never bow hunted until about eight years ago. So it was just, you know, two weeks a year and I was gun hunting. And then eight years ago, I kind of finished all my exams for, so I'm an actuary, which most people have never heard of, but after college, like we have a series of exams to take that you study like on average 300 hours for each exam. And of course the exams in November. So I never bow hunted until after I finished all those exams. First thing I did was I bought a bow. And, you know, ever since then I'm spending all of my free time in the woods. And so, I mean, up until I bought a bow, it was kind of, like I said, two weeks of gun hunting. And, you know, you pretty much shot the first legal buck you saw growing up. And, and then once I started getting into like some big bucks, now I've gotten to be really selective because, you know, I have a lot of time to hunt. I'm really fortunate that way. And I enjoy being in the woods. So it kind of takes a lot for me to give up my buck tag. You know? <laughs> no, I totally get that. And you kind of have like the traditional PA upbringing of, you know, our traditional rifle season. That's kind of what a lot of people get brought up on. You know, you start hunting at 12 and, you know, I think that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. You're you're kind of like a late onset bow hunter. I like that. We have some friends that are that way and it's kind of neat watching people, you know, get like that kind of clicker that goes off in their head and they're like, damn, I can really extend my deer season by picking up a bow. Yeah. Well, and, and that's how it started for sure. It was like, I love that time of year being in the woods. Like, how do I hunt more often than just two weeks a year? And and so I bought a bow. And actually first, um, this is something I haven't really talked about publicly, but my very first time archery hunting, I actually took out a crossbow. And so my dad, 10 years ago, uh, had a bad tree stand accident. He's he's always been a bow hunter, you know, with a compound, but he had a tree stand accident, fell and broke his neck and back in five places. And while he was recovering, you couldn't keep him out of the woods. He still wanted to hunt. So he bought a crossbow. And literally six weeks after his tree stand accident, he was hunting with a crossbow with his neck brace still on. Like you just, you can't keep the man out of the woods. And so anyway, I, I took out his crossbow. I shot a doe with it. And I'm like, you know what? I love being outside this time of the year. It's beautiful, but it just didn't give me like that feeling. I think I was looking for, and then I decided to get a compound. And since then, I've, you know, it's just been a compound, but my first actual archery kill, what, eight, nine years ago was actually with a, with a crossbow. Well, I mean, that makes a great point. When you really think about crossbows and what the intent was when they first legalized them in Pennsylvania, is they were supposed to be that that transition weapon. You know, it's supposed to transition you from being the Pennsylvania rifle hunter into an archery hunter. And, you know, it's anyone's opinion. I don't care what you do one way or the other. But the way I've seen it uh, and the way I feel it's benefit is it gets you, especially at a young age, that first feel of what hunting is like during that time. Because if you only rifle hunt, you have no idea what goes on in the whitetail world in their own environment when they're doing deer things. All you're typically seeing is deer running past. You know, you might see that first light of first day. You might see a deer running in or walking in or feeding, but it's nothing like bow hunting. I'm sure you can attest that now. I mean, I think we all can, right? That it's, it's a perfect weapon to get you from gun hunting to bow hunting, but bow hunting to compound. And it's like that funny transition that you just keep trying to advance. And it depends on who you are and what you want to accomplish too, really. Oh yeah. I mean, I learned so much that first year 
Because even though I had gun hunted for, I don't know, 15 years before I picked up a bow, like I never thought about scent control. I never thought about entry and exit because you can shoot so far with a gun, you know, and you're in a box blind. And most of the time, at least when I was hunting. So like I learned so much that first year. I I learned everything I could immediately. Like, all right, I need to learn all about scent control. I need to learn all about um, deer movement and just things that as a gun hunter, I never thought about. And now it's like, I'm, I'm very like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right. So I'm very like analytical, overthink everything. But I, and I think that as a bow hunter, it's helped and hurt me because I'm, I'm very like meticulous about everything I do, but I'm also very cautious and I play it safe. Like I don't take as many risks as I should, I think. Um, but it's just such a fine line and something like you're always learning on, learning about and trying to, I don't know, make small steps to improve each year. What I'm wondering, Rachel, is when you first started doing that first season with a crossbow and you start mentioning how you wanted to then learn about scent control and learn about entry and exit, what was or who was the person or thing that told you that you needed to focus on that? Was Did you get that information from uh, a YouTube channel, uh, your your father, you know, or, you know, podcast, because that's probably a little bit farther past than when podcasts first started. But I'm just curious to see what first kicked you into that overdrive and told you these are the things you need to be more successful. Yeah. So, I mean, I learned a lot from my dad, obviously. But I think when there, I think there were some things too that I was like afraid to ask because I don't know, you don't want to look stupid or something. Right. And, and I've been hunting for so long. I'm like, I probably should already know this, but so a lot of it, I kind of figured out by myself too, is just by making mistakes and having deer wind you and real, like just observing everything. Like, why did that happen that way? What did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? And then a lot of it, I think too, just, I don't know, researching, reading. I started, yeah, I started getting into podcasts. I mean, a few years after I started bow hunting, I don't think podcasts were really like, that big when I first started or even a a thing. I don't know. So I don't know. I think a lot was just trial and error. But then when it comes like, especially my equipment, like I'm only five foot tall, like five foot nothing. And so a very short draw length, I shoot a uh, lighter poundage. And so just learning about my bow and how to set it up the most efficiently. That's where like my husband has been a big help because when I first started bow hunting, I, I didn't, I wasn't dating him. And, but he worked in an archery shop most of his life. So once we did start dating, like he would show me how to work on my own bow, how to build my own arrows, things like that. And that's been a huge help because just the confidence of knowing that like your equipment was, is going to get the job done. It's just one less thing to worry about. Like now it's, it's on me. Um, whereas when I first started hunting, I was so worried because I was only shooting like 40 some pounds and, you know, I'm, I was keeping it to 20 yards and under and like everything had to go perfect. And I still wasn't getting like a full pass through, you know, and now it's like, I know I'm shooting the most efficient bow I possibly can. I almost got a pass through on a bull elk. Like I don't worry about my equipment at all anymore, but I'm just the type, like I need to understand every little detail. So I kind of, a lot of it is just like research. <laughs> That's actually like a really awesome resource to have. Like your husband's a, I mean, I guess it, technically he's a Bowtech, right? I mean, having that at your fingertips for like, 
knowledge and just being able to like constantly work on your bow and tune everything the way that you want it's like a really awesome resource to have i wish i had that yeah so it's it's great because like he'll teach me everything once but then like he won't help me again so he (laughs) and i like i like that because i want to do things myself because i think for a long time you know you get the comments of like oh you know your girl that hunts like i'm sure daddy does everything for you (laughs) and it's like I, I want to do everything myself from setting up my own bow, hanging my stands, cleaning my, processing my own deer, like, and so that nobody can like take that away from me. So like I build my husband does an arrows for me before and I'm like, I, I'll do it, you know? So it's cool that I've learned it to do it myself. But yeah, he was a great resource to have. His dad owned a small sporting goods store in our town growing up. And so he worked on bows pretty much his whole life. And that's how, I don't want to say that's how we met, but I mean, I actually have known him since I was about three years old because, you know, we always went to that sporting goods store and his dad and him would actually come over the night before rifle season. My grandpa, he's not, not in good health right now. So prayers for him, please. But my grandpa, every year, the the night before rifle season, he would have a, a big poker party where we would like all get in a buck pool and play poker, drink, drink beers. I mean, I was too young to drink beers at that time, but, you know, have some venison chili. Everyone gets together the night before deer season. It was our tradition every year. And I have a picture has to be over 25 years old. Like I'm, I'm probably eight years old and my now husband sitting next to me, he was, he would have been like 11 years old. And then my dad and his dad, and we're all sitting there playing poker. So just kind of shows you like how far back that like tradition goes in our family. Yeah, that's really awesome. I'm really sorry to hear that about your grandpa. I will say a prayer for him. But thank I- you. Yeah, he had a had a big stroke the other day. Oh and man, oh, I'm it's sorry. T- to hear it's that. tough because he's like he's kind of like that that guy who you know got the whole family into hunting, and it's just we're, we're a pretty tight knit family. So, but he's 92 and. He's he's lived a really good life. So yeah, sounds like he was the start of the legacy, though. That's what's really cool about that. I I mean, every every deer I ever shot, I would take and show him, and he was so he's always so proud of me. My first, I remember my first archery buck I shot on his property, and he just thought it was the most impressive thing ever. You know, and and my first archery buck was actually pretty good because I was kind of spoiled with some big rifle bucks before then. And so it took me a couple of years to get my first archery buck because I'm like, I'm not going to shoot the first legal buck. You know what I mean? Like when you've already shot some good rifle bucks and took me a while to get a a good one on my bow. So my first archery buck was like 120. That's pretty awesome. That's a good start right there. (laughs) Heck yeah. I like that you're you're kind of breaking the mold. And like I I, I don't want to go into like saying like the huntress mold. You know what I mean? I like that you you really enjoy breaking into it yourself and like hanging your own stands, like you said, and working on your own bow and getting into processing. And I, I really like that about you. And, I, and I, I wish more people would kind of take that like philosophy from you rather than the common huntress, like, oh, look, I'm hanging a trail camera. And you know, the whole Instagram <laughs> vibe that just kind of gets thrown out of proportion a little bit. It's kind of... <laughs> well, I mean, then again, she is a Northwest PA girl. Let's be honest. That's okay. true. PA girls <laughs> are a different breed of awesomeness. That's for damn sure. But no, you, you're absolutely right, Austin. Like it's the wanting to do it yourself and the wanting to prove other people wrong and be successful and really yeah. like get it done on your own. I, I love that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I think it. So like I'm the oldest kid in my family. I have two younger brothers. And I think my dad was like 
so anxious to have a boy that he was just like, well, I got a daughter, so I'm going to raise her like a son. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I started tagging along with him in the woods as, as soon as I could walk. And but I loved it. Like he never forced it on me. I always wanted to do it. And I mean, even like in high school, I mean, back then it, it was not cool to be a hunter as a woman. Like now people think that's really cool. But back then, like, you know, you were a tomboy, you got made fun of, and but I didn't care. I mean, all through middle school, high school, like, I was up turkey hunting with dad in the morning and, and then going to softball after that or, you know, it, whatever it was. Like, I, I never, I don't think I ever took a year off from hunting. Oh, man, that's, I, I envy that. Yeah, honestly. For, for sure. It was different. It was a different status than, you know, when you were the one that was the female hunter. It wasn't the cool thing to do. You're right. I mean, I'm thinking back, you know, even in our high school in Pennsylvania, when you think about it, we are so deep into the hunting tradition and the hunting roots, but it's always like you, you hear, think about boys camp, right? Like the guys go up to camp and, and the women stay at home and they get together and party while we're up at camp. But it's really not that way. I mean, we're, our camp advancing as even like my brother's wife hunts mm -hmm. and she's up there with us just as much as the guys are and it's no different it really isn't it's a weird thing to talk about because you don't think about it the way i'm sure you had to deal with it but it's definitely the truth of it that we are a strong traditional hunting cultured state but it was still kind of a weird stigma that if a woman or a girl I should say a girl hunted when we were younger so I'm glad that you stepped out of your comfort zone and took the shit basically and did something that you loved and that you were passionate about because that's what we do this for yeah I mean growing up so like my dad my uncles my grandpa like they would go out west on trips every year and I never you know I never got to be part of that that was like a guy's trip but my husband I mean one year to go to Illinois with him and I'm like are you sure like is, is it a guy's trip I don't want to be like the only girl there and feel out of place and you know I don't want to ruin your trip for you and I don't want to feel like I'm holding you back either like you wait all year for this I want you to be able to hunt on your own do your own thing and I think there was just part of me it was like a little insecure feeling like I needed to prove myself to the other guys because I didn't know them and you know to walk into hunting camp with a bunch of guys I don't know they're probably gonna be like oh great who brought the girl I mean I my own stand so I did have to ask for help like hey can you help me with the stand and it took me like just finding the right mobile setup that fits me because I am so small like to be able to hang it myself. But at the time I wasn't. So I did need to ask for help. And I hate that. I hate asking for help. But it was really cool. Like I, I felt like I fit in immediately. I earned their respect. Like I think they immediately saw like, okay, she legitimately knows what she's doing. And I've never doubted it since anytime we go on a hunting trip, like I don't even think about the fact that I'm the only girl there now. Like it's just, I know I'm just as qualified as a hunter. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. So you mentioned like you found your setup. I don't want to get totally off track here, but I'm kind of curious, what kind of setup are you running right now? Um, so I have two mobile setups. Um, one, I really like the Millennium M7. Little stand. Um, I like that. Yes. It's very small. It's lightweight. It's easy for me to hang on my own uh, with their like receiver system where you, you hang that receiver first and you can slide the stand right into it. And then I just recently got a Novix Hilo. I really like that as well. Um, I love their sticks, the mini double sticks. They're just so easy for me to carry around. So yeah, that's 
those are the two I'm, I've been running this year. And like in Pennsylvania, I don't do my mobile setup because we bought our own little small farm a couple years ago. And you know, we do a lot of work on it, food plots, things like that, where we have mostly like preset stands we'll, we'll hang in the summer and, you know, they're there all fall. But um, like when we go to Ohio is when I'm mostly using my mobile setup. No, that's awesome. When you have like your, your, uh, your presets on your farm, are you guys hanging double sets? Or are you guys mostly doing like just single, single stands? No, we, I don't think we've ever hunt together. Oh, really? Um, yeah. No, actually once in Ohio, we hunted together and Andy's going to kill me for saying this, but you know what? He can't sit still and <laughs> I think he smells. So <laughs> I, I, we, <laughs> We, we so hope he doesn't do listen to this. Well, we don't hunt well together. It's funny because we do everything else together. You know, we do all our scouting. We'll do all our food plot work. We'll you know choose stand locations together. But like, and and we'll share stands. You know, in those pre-hung sets. Like sometimes he'll hunt them, sometimes I will. But we do not ever hunt together. Do you ever break down like a single deer? If you guys are on a single deer that you want to kill, do you ever break it down and kind of buddy hunt as in, you know, you think he's betting an X position. I'm going to set up on this escape route. You set up on that escape route as long as obviously both work with the same wind. Do you ever do that? Like a little buddy hunt kind of close together? Um, I'm sure we have. Not often. Not deliberately. You know, it's just double. Yeah, I mean, it's like double scent in there. And yeah, not deliberately. Uh, and we typically are hunting different deer. So like, even though we hunt the same properties, we have different preferences in deer. And, you know, if there's a certain deer that's we know is around and it's one he's after, like I let him hunt it or vice versa. So it's it's in it. We have very different tastes in deer. <laughs> sure. I'm curious. I, you, you got my mind, like my, my gears turned here a little bit. What's, what's your favorite? If you had to do your picture perfect deer. Oh, my perfect deer. I don't even know. So I've never killed a non-tippet. Like okay. I am the person that kills your cookie cutter eights <laughs> or tens or whatever. Like I want something funky versus like Andy wants a big, heavy, wide, typical. And like, I've got a couple of those. Type, I mean, not huge, you know, but for our area, I've got a couple that are pretty nice, big typicals. So I've past couple of years been after just some like funkier looking ones. And yeah. he thinks they're ugly. So it works out well. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I mean, <laughs> I kind of see both sides of the coin. Like everybody loves a big typical, but at the same time, how do you not like some junk going on there? Some yeah. funky character. Yeah. I, I mean, my dream deer would have double drop times, obviously. Mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, we can't all be Austin Chandler. So mm, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Although there was a double drop just killed last year in Pennsylvania. Freaking stud. Central PA. Central, Central PA. <laughs> it might have been North Central. I'm not totally positive, but I <laughs> I can't say for sure. I don't know my regions apparently or my directional pad. <laughs> oh man. Listen, if you're not if you're not in the snow belt of Erie ish PA, then you're not Northwest in oh. my book. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So like above 80. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Whatever. I want to backtrack a little bit here. So we've not been out much shed hunting. I was actually out the other day checking out one of our properties because it's getting cut and we were doing a little coyote hunt and we bumped into a buck still holding both sides. So I got to give it a little bit more time, I guess. But I would have thought with the weather we've had 
over this way that everything would have been dropped by now, but it appears I was wrong. Are you guys seeing anything still holding on your cameras or anything? Do you, first off, do you still have cell cams out? Do you use cell cams? What are you guys gaining intel on right now to know when to go in and look for their sheds? Yeah, we have a few cameras out still. I do have one cell, cell camera out. I deactivated most of them for the rest of the, I mean, until probably July, but I haven't seen anything around our house. I mean, we had a pretty tough winter, I think. And, but the bucks, I mean, on each of the properties we hunt, we own two pieces. We hunt a few others. One of our target box survived. Um, so that's pretty exciting, but we, we haven't found any other sheds yet. I mean, we haven't really been out much, but it's, it's nice to know that they're there for next year, you know, yeah, the sure. last, last day of archery. Well, I guess the last day of archery was a Monday. Uh, late archery. The last Saturday of late archery, I had my target buck at 64 yards. And I had my, I had my bow. I was not, not muzzle or hunting, but I had my bow. And, you know, and I, it was, it was actually kind of tempting because, I mean, I shoot, I shoot a hundred yards all summer. You know, like I shoot my bow every day. I'm pretty confident at 60 some yards, but late season, you're bundled up. I, you know, I just, that late in the year, you're like, you know, he made it. I don't want to risk making a bad shot on him, but I'm thinking like his head's down. He's feeding in our cut bean field. He's quartering away. He's, we got snow on the ground. Like there's no wind and all the conditions were right that I probably could have made that shot, but it's just, I, I, I don't want to shoot that far at a deer. I really don't. Yeah. yeah. So that's admirable. I mean, 60 yards is a poke, but. You know, oh, yeah. you shoot 100 yards all the time. I mean, you're proficient with your bow. We do the same thing. I mean, but like you said, everything has to be right in that condition down to like that buck better be like texting on a cell phone like, before you make a shot like that. <laughs> well, and it, it's also like that time of the year where it was like crunchy snow and there were a lot of other deer out. And as they walked, like it was noisy. They were making a lot of noise. And I think it would have covered up the noise of my string. Right. So like, I don't know that he would have ducked the string, but it's just still like, I don't know, not a chance I want to take, you know, I've hunted long enough that I've, I've wounded deer and it's like the worst feeling. And I just, I never, I'm very, very picky with my shots. Yeah. No, I don't blame you, honestly. I mean, that's, I probably would have made the same exact decision as you. I mean, in, in that case, like, it's like you said, he made it already, you know, and he's going to be bigger next year, hopefully. And he, you know, yeah. everything's going to work out. I can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. It was the ethical <laughs> play for sure. And speaking of ethics, we need to talk about the deer season you had this year. Oh, yeah. Because you did something that I think could have gone either way. I think with the world that we're going to talk about in social media here later, it could go either way. But I want you to kind of recap your deer season for us, if you don't mind, because I want to get into your buck story, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, I actually had a, a tougher season this year, like, like just like trespassers and a lot of wounded bucks. And, you know, it was just a, a frustrating season. But and I kind of questioned myself a lot of like, do I need to like lower my standards a bit? Are, are my standards too high for where I'm hunting? And the deer, if the deer, the, the type of deer that I want to kill, if it's not here, I can't kill it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, do I need to lower my standards or is that settling? And ultimately, I, I never even drew back on a buck this year. Well, that's not true. I drew back on one because I heard him coming before I saw him. And then once I saw him, I let down, but I never came close to shooting a buck this year in archery. And I, I'm not one that's, I'm not afraid to take my, my buck tag into late season. I love late season. Like that's where, that's my favorite time of the year because we put in so much work to have like the food pots and stuff. Like I know that we're going to see the bucks late season. Um, if, if they survive that long. So I, 
you know, in gun season, I was out and I saw a buck that was wounded really badly. Um, he had this huge gash. I don't know what caused it. Huge gash in front of his front shoulder. And I mean, that it was like a foot long and there was just stuff hanging out, pus coming out. It was pretty nasty. And he was really struggling to walk in the snow, get to food. And so I made the decision uh, to shoot him. And even like when I walked up to him, you know, get like 15 yards away, I could smell him. I mean, he stunk so bad. And so I immediately, I called the game wardens and they came out and um, told me, you know, definitely the meat's not any good. And, um, you know, I did the right thing and they gave me a replacement tag. That's pretty neat. Yeah, um, that's super. I, I honestly didn't even know that was like an option to do, I guess what you would call like a salvage tag probably. Yeah. To replace so, it. I don't know if it's really a salvage. Like they took the deer. So right. the downside with it is you give up the deer, including the antlers, okay. which it, it didn't bother me. It's not, it wasn't a huge buck or anything, but I, I, you know, I would rather have the tag and had I, you know, had that buck not been wounded, I wouldn't have shot him. So, right. Right. You know what I mean, like I, I still wanted my tag. And I, I think as long as the warden agrees that, you know, that deer wouldn't have survived and the meat's not any good you know, they want the right thing to be done as well, you know? Um, So I think as long as they don't suspect like any, you know, foul play or anything like that, like they, they're, they were really good to work with. So he was really nice about it. Took the deer, gave me a new tag. As long as they don't get a drift of uh, foul play. Um, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) Don't you even. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, no, that's really admirable. And I, I feel like a lot of people would, would do that, but I, I also feel like there's that group of people that wouldn't. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that that's really admirable, you know, put it out of its misery. You know, that deer would have either a starved to death, you know, throughout the winter or the coyotes would have ripped it apart or, you know, you, you definitely did the right thing. And I've had nothing but like great experiences with our game wardens. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. kind of share different opinions a lot of the time, but it's good to hear that you had good situation with them too. Yeah, he was great. Actually, I found out like he doesn't live that far from me. And he was saying how they, you know, they do have to confiscate some deer sometimes. And I said, like, what do you do with them? You know, and he goes, well, it depends. And I'm like, well, if the meat's still good, like, I would gladly take it. Like, we're always, we can always use more deer meat. I mean, typically between Andy and I, we try to kill five deer a year and and we eat all of it, just the two of us. And um, I mean, we cook venison most nights. So He's like, oh, that's great to know. You know, I'll gladly just drop off deer every once in a while if we get one. So it was good to just kind of, and I I had a lot of questions for him too. Just things I've always wanted to ask the game warden. And it's like, while he's there, I just kept asking him all these questions. So it's good to just like establish a good relationship with him, I think. Heck yeah. Absolutely. I think that's where it can go wrong is when people don't want to follow the authority of the game warden to begin with and they don't want to be friendly they don't want to make that connection or that relationship when these people for the most part are just like you and i oh yeah they they love the outdoors they're out there for a reason it's not like they're getting paid a whole lot of money to be out there and do this and they're giving up their deer season most of the time to do it so you know if you get to know them they're typically not that bad no. There's like anything, there might be a sour apple here and there, but it was definitely the right thing to do, Rachel, for sure. 
And I know you probably felt some kind of way about it because it's tough. It's tough to take a life of an animal. But when you break it down, you save that animal from so much suffering. Like when Austin and I were hunting late season just a few years ago now, we came across a deer with three legs, basically. It had lost. The one was like swinging. Yeah, it basically lost its its fourth leg. And um, it was in very, very bad shape. And we ended up altering our hunt to kill that deer. Yeah, we Um, did like a two-man archery deer drive to get that thing (laughs) an archery wind bump and it was i mean it was in such rough shape when we got up to it it was a full grown deer that probably weighed less than your your typical yearling yeah it was all emaciated and full oh man when i when i butchered that thing it was just like beyond anything you could ever imagine what it had gone through the suffering felt terrible i didn't know it was an option that you could have got another tag not that i cared but you know, I end up not getting any meat out of it. And in the end, I think we do things as hunters that other people can't understand. They think we're just out there to maliciously kill and, you know, whatever they think of us, I guess. But <laughs> they don't realize what our passion is for these animals and what we do in honor of their lives. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say, I guess. It's crazy, man. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like most deer's death in the wild without a hunter is probably. You know, there's probably a lot more, more suffering. It's pretty average, brutal. Like, yeah. And then what we, you know, strive to have a quick ethical kill. And, mm-hmm. and that's something like I work with a lot of people that, you know, don't understand it. And maybe they have like their preconceived notions about what hunting is. And for a long time, I didn't talk to my coworkers about the fact that I hunted. But I've found like the more that I do and the more like I shed some light on like what I do, why I do it. I think people are actually really impressed by it or like they respect it uh, once they actually understand, you know, what we do. Yeah. Yeah. They can be pretty receptive. I mean, I've kind of run into that situation a few times too, with a couple of different jobs that I've had. You know, you kind of got to play that line for a while until you get a feel for them. And then it's kind of like the floodgates open. Sometimes they become interested and sometimes they're just kind of like, no, don't even even talk to me. (laughs) It's funny because it seems like they always start off with some of those typical non-hunter digs or comments. And then the more you get to talking to these people and they get to know you as you work with them and they, they come to respect you as, as a coworker, they seem to ask a lot of questions about it. Like they're very curious. And I, I mean, I could tell you one kid that I worked with in Franklin, PA, he was farthest thing from a hunter, you know, grew up in Grove City, went to private schools, everything, right? He was a very introverted person. And I could not believe the curiosity that came out of him whenever we got to talk about hunting because he was super into hiking and stuff, but never into hunting in it. And I feel like if you can talk to those people in the right way, you're going to gain their support one day. You know, like the last episode, we just talked with Joey Bell about a lot of this stuff, Mm -hmm. right? You're going to gain that support when it comes down to it. If you reach out to that person and say, hey, there's a bill that needs your help to protect hunting. I feel like you're going to get that where if you're just kind of standoffish and you don't explain it in the right light, you can uh, be doing hunting more harm than than good. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah, we even like, you know, when I, I especially, I guess, post COVID, I think a lot of people have a new respect for it. Cause it's like, you know, when people couldn't find meat in the stores and like, I'm like, oh, I have a whole freezer full of venison and I have a whole freezer full of, of walleye. We do a lot of walleye fishing on Lake Erie. I've got a freezer full of vegetables for my garden and like, we're very self-sufficient. And I think that like 
that if you if you put it in that light, like these are all like renewable resources and it's a sustainable way of living. Like I think a lot of people look at it differently. No, I totally agree. One thing I kind of wanted to ask you about, and I didn't really talk to Chuck about it, but we have a Patreon group and I and I put this TikTok link in there earlier. This this kind of goes along with this. Is, this is like a weird kind of offshoot of this. <laughs> but we were talking about respecting the animal a little bit ago. That's why mm. I'm kind of getting into this. Okay. So it was on a page that I saw and I think it was called Stuck in the Rut was the page, I, I believe. And they had a different style of mount. And I wondered if you had seen anything like this before because I hadn't and I'm really actually kind of intrigued by it. So I was just flipping through TikTok like, you know, normal people do. Yeah, normal people. <laughs> yeah, normal you. people, right? And um, <laughs> they had this mount and it was actually a wolf from Idaho and it had like a regular mounted head. But it was a soft mount. The rest of it was like a stuffed animal. Have you ever seen anything like that? Like the guy literally had it on his shoulders and was like looking at him explaining like what it was like, but it was like super interesting. And I don't know. I hadn't seen anything like it. I put it in the group and there was like kind of like a weird reaction to it. Is that anything that you've ever seen before, Rachel? No, I actually just saw that TikTok today. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so you saw it too. <laughs> and I thought it was pretty bizarre. I mean, my problem with that is I think my dogs would use it as a tutorial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I just had like this weird like thought in my head and I kind of threw this out there too. Like what if you're at a party and you're like, oh, someone's like, oh man, did you get that 180 mounted? And you're like, yeah, dude, come here and check it out. And like you just have this 180 like soft mount. It's got like the regular head and you just like drop it on his shoulders. Check it out, man. Like. Could you imagine? <laughs> Jeez Louise. I know. I couldn't. No, no. I, that would be the weirdest thing probably ever. Now, if it was like you could like move their legs in different uh, positions and like stand it up, I think that'd be way cooler. I just thought it was so obscure. Like I had never seen anything like it. And I, now I feel like I'm talking to everybody about it all day because I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really weird sidebar. I didn't mean well, to take it in that direction, but like yeah. I was so curious. No, I mean taxidermy really interests me. Like I, I like doing like different something different, but I also like wanna I don't know, I want it to be like classy and respectful. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So actually I still have my fisher in my freezer. I haven't decided how I'm gonna mount that. I can't find a form that I like, so I was looking into getting it freeze dried because you can get it freeze dried in like any position you want and you don't have to do a form. Right. But yeah, I don't know. Taxidermy is interesting. The freeze-dried yeah. thing's a really cool option because at that point, it's like they can't really screw it up too bad. And I think it's a little bit more cost-efficient, if I'm not wrong, than like a full-out taxidermy work. I don't know. My, think, my brother-in-law uh, has one. Go ahead, the Rachel. prices I saw were about the same, okay. um, at least for a fisher. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, there's certain limitations. Like it needs to be a certain like circumference of of a body or smaller or else the freeze dry doesn't like work effectively uniformly throughout. The I don't know all the technical. I don't want to sound mm -hmm. like I know what I'm talking about because I don't, but I know that only like smaller animals can be freeze dried. Yeah. I, was, I saw that picture of your fisher and like, geez. I've only ever seen a couple of fishers. That thing was a tank, man. <laughs> Yeah. Like, honestly, they're a scary <laughs> animal to begin with. And that thing was like a beast. How much you, did that weigh? A little over 12 pounds. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's not it's not huge. It looks big because it, ha it has a very beautiful coat on it. Because you're trophy posing um, and it? I'm really, and I'm really small, so. <laughs> no, I can dig it. It was really, like, it, honestly, it was really cool. I was really, I mean, I've only been trapping for a few years. My father-in-law got me into trapping and mostly do like beaver and muskrat. I spent a lot of time like, um, and we've got a lot of like beaver swamps and stuff near us. And 
which also makes for good deer hunting. But my first time getting a fisher and it was really, really cool. Yeah. You trap some impressive beavers too. Those, I've been seeing some pictures on your social media and it started with beaver trapping and then you had that fisher. And I was extremely impressed because here you are five foot nothing holding a beaver up that's damn near the same size as you. It's like, holy hell. I I know. (laughs) How do you even have time to do such a thing? Like, (laughs) where do you get into this stuff? You you just, you do it all. Yeah. I mean, we don't, I mean, that's the thing. We don't really do anything else. Like hunting, fishing, trapping, like those are our hobbies. Like we don't spend money elsewhere. We don't like, I mean, we don't even like go on dates. You know what I mean? Our date nights are like, let's cook some deer meat and shoot bows and drive around and scout for deer. Like, so, I mean, that it's just our life. But yeah, my father-in-law got me into trapping. So I still only been doing that a few years. But the day I got the fisher, I also caught a beaver and I mean, I'm in a swamp that's like a half a mile, which isn't super far. Like it's flat and, you know, it's half a mile from the road. But I'm I've got to pack out a 40 pound beaver and a 12 pound fisher by myself, (laughs) you know, and I took my frame pack that I got for hunting out west and I took that through the beaver in the frame pack. So I've got a 40 pound beaver in my pack and I'm carrying my fisher out and I'm I mean, it's freezing cold and I'm sweating. Yeah. <laughs> <But> it was <laughs> fun. <laughs> That's insane. Now, do you guys get into any like waterfowl hunting too? Is that something that you guys are interested in? No. Good. No. Me neither. I mean, Screw those waterfowl no. hunters. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean that at all. We, like occasionally we'll go, not often. No. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's not my thing. I'm not, I don't know. No, I, I get it. Deer, turkey. Fishing, trapping, and then, I mean, the last few years we've gotten into going out west, and I'm pretty obsessed with elk right now, so. Yeah, I would be too. I mean, holy smokes, you got a a really nice elk. What was that? Was that your first trip out west that you got that really nice bull? No, it was my second trip. Second trip, So the first trip, we, yeah, the first trip we didn't get anything for the first time, especially if you're going by yourself, like so much to learn, especially like when you come from, I mean, where I'm hunting here in Pennsylvania, it's pretty flat. Like, so to learn about topography, to learn about thermals, to learn about elk and where they live and how they travel and their vocalization, like there's just so much. And so the first year, you know, we said like, we're going to call it a success if we even get within bow range of an elk. Yeah. And we did. I mean, I got I got in bow range of three elk the first year. One was a spike, which wasn't legal where we were hunting. And then I was at full draw on one. We had like been falling back and forth with this elk. And I, I had him at full draw. I was at full draw, like 45 yards. I needed him to take one step. And uh, another hunter came up over the ridge and oh, spooked him. Come on. And, but I mean, it was a great, like we learned so much. And then the second year we went back and I killed the bull the first hour of the first day. It was <laughs> Unreal. That is unbelievable. Insane. That person that came up over the ridge on you, probably a waterfowl hunter. <laughs> Get out of yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Rachel, where are you guys doing a lot of your Western hunting? Are you guys doing Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado? I don't, I'm not looking for pins or anything like that. I'm just curious about state. <laughs> so we have been going to Montana and all public land and everything, but... It's getting to the point where you can't draw there every year. Um, yeah. You've got maybe a 50-50 chance of drawing each year. And then 
last year we just ran into so much hunting pressure, a lot of grizzly sign. Like we, we just had a really, really tough hunt. It was a very dry year, a lot of fires and Montana making some like legislation changes that we don't necessarily agree with. And, and so we're going to go to Colorado this year and try something different. That's cool. I can dig that. Yeah. Last year, I mean, I feel like pretty much everywhere had a lot of problems with fires. I mean, Wyoming had them. Idaho had them. I mean, they're pretty much all over the place. I mean, I I can think of like my youth and stuff like that. Even, even the wildfires out in Yellowstone and stuff. It's, it's absolutely crazy out there. Like there's so much tinder on the ground. I mean, Mm -hmm. just year round. I mean, when something goes up, it's just freaking gone. It's insane that they even survive that kind of environment. I know. And those fires, it's insane. But you know, the grizzlies are getting really bad in Montana too. Like they're becoming an issue. <laughs> oh, same with Wyoming, honestly. And Idaho has grizzlies. You shouldn't run into them in Colorado this year. That's a good sign. But <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's wild. All right. So first off, how did you get into elk hunting? I mean, I know you said that some family had been going out west prior to you going out there. Was this a decision? You and Andy just said, you know what? Let's do it. We're young. We're going. Let's just go hunt elk. Yeah. Uh, his his dad had been going with a couple of buddies and we just decided let's tag along. And he had gone a couple of times, I think, before we were together. And then like a few years into us dating, he's like, why don't we, why don't we just go? You know? And, and it was after, you know, I had killed a few deer with my bow and like, I, you know, I knew that I was capable of killing an elk with my bow. You know, I, I didn't want to go until I was ready. And I, I did a lot of work to make sure like I could take down an elk with my bow. But yeah, we just decided one year, let's tag along with his dad and a couple of buddies. And we, we learned a lot the first year. And then the second year we drove out by ourselves. Um, it was our honeymoon really. And, um, we, his dad and his buddy were coming like the next day, but we got there a day early and killed that bull before they even got there. And so my first text, I mean, I texted my dad and I was like, dad, I shot a bull. And then I text Andy's dad. I'm like, how far away are you? Cause I'm going to need help packing. He's like, bullshit. I'm like, no, I already got an elk down. And they're like, we're still eight hours away. Oh you know? man. <laughs> so, I will guarantee that made their next eight hours like the most exciting part of that entire trip, (laughs) that entire drive. I'll guarantee it. That is awesome. It's well, let me say, let me ask this too, though. Coming from all the way here in Pennsylvania, how intimidating was that trip that first year trying to get everything ready, trying to get prepared for it? The doubt of the unknown. How intimidating was it coming from Pennsylvania? Uh, very. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, luckily, I had a lot of resources to talk to. You know, Clint Casper is a good resource. I had reached out to him. And then, you know, we had friends that had gone. So I asked a lot of questions. What gear do I need? Like, but if you can't really test your gear, and, and I mean, test it in the mountains, like, you don't know. And so the first year, like my boots were awful. And we put on almost 100 miles in 10 oh. days. And oh. my feet hurt so bad. Like there were days I just, I thought like, I can't do this today. And I mean, you do it anyway, because you waited all year for it. But I mean, it was painful. And so the second year, of course, I got a better pair of boots. And I found a local like ski resort that in the summer offers 
hiking passes. And so I bought a pass to go hike the ski slopes and just multiple times up and down that hill. And that, you know, making sure that my gear and my boots and everything were comfortable so that I could survive a week out west. And I'm, you know, yeah, there's so much like there's just so much that goes into it from, you know, knowing how to apply and how to get points and how to locate out like there's just so much. It's really overwhelming. But you just got to take like one thing at a time and learn about it. And I mean, and that's one thing like you learn so much and there's no no way to really be prepared until you just do it. Yeah, totally. How did you handle the uh, the altitude out there? Was it something that really kicked your ass or was it were you prepared enough for it? I feel like you can never prepare for it being around here. So I am a runner on COVID. I was doing like a half marathon every spring and every fall. So I was in, like my lungs were in pretty good shape. Yeah. But still, it's different. You know, I breathe. That I forgot to think about the strength that it takes to hike up a mountain. Like my calves hurt so bad. Yeah. And I would get bad leg cramps and I didn't think about the strength. So the second year I focused more on strength and endurance. And that's the best way to train for it, really. But I mean, we were only at eight, nine thousand. I think nine thousand was the highest we got. So it wasn't terrible. Like I'm assuming in Colorado this year, we'll probably be at a little bit higher altitudes. Yeah. Nine thousand feet is still pretty, pretty damn high. I know um, when I was in like high school and stuff like that, and I'd go out to Wyoming in the summers with my parents and stuff like that. I was actually a cross country runner at the time. And my mom was like insistent that I trained out there like hardcore. So (laughs) it was like altitude training to like the max out in Wyoming for me up in the mountains, like 10.5. It was horrible. (laughs) Did she also make you like live with the wolves and shit or what? No, 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 no. It was just horrible (laughs) running conditions. So she's not that hardcore. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) You didn't have to race grizzlies. She didn't tie meat to your back. No, no. Okay. No, nothing that crazy. (laughs) And the first year we camped like really low. And so every morning, you know, thinking about the thermals, they're falling all night and then they're rising in the morning. And so in the morning, you're trying to get up higher to get above the elk and uh, before those thermals start to rise. And and um, so every morning it was like, wake up and head up the mountain. And it's like straight up. I mean, like, I don't even have time for my coffee to kick in. And we're like hiking straight up this mountain every morning. I'm like, this is miserable. So the second year we're like, hey, how about we camp closer up top, up top, but just camping like maybe one drainage over from where you're going to hunt so that your thermals aren't falling down to where you're hunting the next day. Yeah. Nothing wakes you up in the morning like a few thousand feet of elevation, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Screw that, man. I, never mind. I'm going to call Lane and Tanner right now and tell them I'm out for 2024 Idaho elk hunt. I'm out. <laughs> Not going. You'll be all right. It'll be good. Yeah, we'll be fine. It's good for you. So I asked this to a lot of people that come from the east and hunt out west. What would you say is the one best piece of advice for getting yourself ready, whether it's mental or physical, to prepare yourself to actually get out there and go hunt elk and foreign land that you've never stepped foot on before? So I think mental is a lot bigger than physical. Like my father-in-law is 68 and he still hikes around the mountain with us. He just takes it slower. Um, so I don't. you don't have to be in like peak physical condition to, to do this. But if you're going to spend all that time and all that money to do it, 
you should make it worthwhile. And so I think mental is the biggest thing. It's spending time learning about the animal you're hunting, how to find them, learning about the terrain, you know, e-scouting, like investing time in learning. And then just from a mental aspect, when you're out there, it's so easy to get frustrated, so easy to give up or, you know, and it's just like keeping plans, A, B, C, D, you know, as many plans as you need. Because, you know, we got out there and all the plans that we had, we wanted to camp here. There was already people there. We wanted to camp there. There's already people there. Like it was like the seventh spot on our list that we had marked on a map on Onyx, like where we finally found a spot where we could camp where there wasn't already people. And, you know, so it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get frustrated when you go like days and days and days and you're not seeing or hearing out. Like, so I think mental is like the biggest thing of, you know, prepare in in terms of like learning about what you're hunting and then prepare plans and backup plans and more backup plans. And so that, you know, you don't get out there and just get discouraged. I feel like that's super and, solid. And advice. I think like that setting, setting expectations too, it's like you success rates are so low, especially if you're going with a bow, like it's, you don't want to come home like disappointed because you didn't get something like, and we had an absolute blast. Nobody, you know, we didn't come home with it with an elk. Second year, we did come home with an elk. Third year, we didn't. And I, you know, I found myself getting really bummed out towards the end of our trip that we were going home empty handed. And it's hard to keep perspective on like, I had an amazing trip with my dad, my father-in-law and my husband. And that's really special. And I don't want to be upset about the fact that we didn't kill anything. Yeah. I mean, and at the same point, I mean, you spent all that money, you you spent all that time preparing for it and everything. It's hard not to be bummed, but you know, having the realistic expectation kind of, it puts it in perspective for you before you get out there. Like, yes, I'm going to have a good time regardless. We're going to freaking work our asses off. We're going to do the best that we can. If we're successful, awesome. If we're not, it was an experience and it was a learning experience and just, you know, it's that type B fun. You get that story out of it. You know, it's just, you, you got to try and, you know, take it for what it is at that point. I mean, being out West in, in, in general is an experience in itself. So, I mean, it, as soon as I leave I, and it's so like, I think people make fun of the whole like elk hunting thing, but like, it's so, it is, it's so magical. And it's like, as soon as I leave, I cannot wait to go back. Yeah. Did I lose you again? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> we're, we're sitting here like, uh-oh. uh-oh. She went blank. Uh-oh. Well, rural Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rachel is so far out there Thank that she you. doesn't even get, you know, Comcast. She probably has like no, Armstrong. No, we don't. Like nobody, nobody will bring us internet. It's, <laughs> it's so frustrating. I'm on a hotspot. Oh my goodness. I I know your pain. I know your pain. Don't worry. I'll write Comcast a nasty letter tomorrow for you. <laughs> I'm sure they'll listen to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Where were we? I don't even know. I agree. I think the key here is you are going out West for the experience. Yes, first, absolutely. Right. There's yeah. a lot of people that are in well health that will never experience that trip. Yeah. And you're doing it because it's something we love. It's a passion. Yes, people definitely want to pick on it because most people find a way to pick on things that they can't obtain themselves, right? Like like me, I'll pick on waterfowl hunters because I just don't want to do it. But um, I'm going to take you this year. Don't worry. <laughs> nobody takes me hunting, <laughs> Rachel. I want somebody to take me hunting. I need Duck Guy Doug to take me hunting. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I can't stay serious too long. So in in all in all, what we're trying to say here is if you can do it, just go freaking do it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. 
That's it. Yeah. Well, life's too short. Don't wait. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, man, Joe, jo- again, going back to Joey Bell last week, he, he said something where it's like, everybody says one day I'll do it. Yeah. And this stuck with me, but one day you're going to be sitting back saying, man, I regret that I never did it. I that, agree. that if you just keep saying one day, one day, one day, that one day is going to come, you're going to be sitting somewhere regretting that you didn't do what you've always wanted to do. Yeah. So life is too short. Do it. Life's a garden. Dig it. <laughs> Life's a garden. Dig it. Okay, Joe Dirt. <laughs> oh, man. One more subject. I know we're getting up there. You're it's okay. late. It's a Thursday night, whatever. Sorry. My apologies, Rachel. We got to touch on your um, your absence or your, uh, maybe you can come up with a word for it, your absence from social media, your little stint away from social media. Hiatus. Hiatus. Yeah. That's that's a good word. What yeah. What happened there? What was going on? I mean, I was very jealous to start. Like I I was almost followed your lead, but what what was going on? Um, I mean, a lot of things. I think I get really I get really frustrated a with like a lot of the political stuff, and I I'm a hard time not like arguing like when I see <laughs> something that's flat out wrong, you know, and then. I don't know. I got a couple of comments about like, you know, the Buckeye killed people questioning like, oh, they're really resilient animals. He would have lived. You just he wasn't as big as you wanted. So, you know, you you got a new tag and just I'm just sick of it. Like, I'm really I don't know. I just get sick of everything I see. It's, there's just so much negativity. And I've always tried to keep my social media like as positive I don't know. I just got to the point where I felt like I was constantly like defending myself and it was just a negative thing for me. And I'm like, I got to get rid of it from my life for a while. So yeah, I just, I, I don't know. Then my Fisher picture, like I was really proud of that. And I was surprised I actually didn't get anything negative about Fisher. So I've, I've just been trying not to, I'll post now and then, um, and I'll keep up with, and that's the thing is like, I want it to keep up with people that I don't see. I like following people, but it's just, I'm so sick of the negativity. Yeah. No, I don't blame you. Do you happen to remember those people's names, that, like the <laughs> ones that were doing that? Because we'll show up at their house with a wiffle ball bat and beat them up for you. <laughs> and, well, and then I even got, no, I don't, but then I even got um, someone that I think everyone probably follows or knows of said something about how it was about shooting a three-year-old, basically. And I'm like, in Pennsylvania. A three-year-old's like a stud, very, ma'am. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's very rare very rare to see a deer a buck older than three especially in archery especially in bow range like yes you'll see them but to get an opportunity at a four-year-old or a five-year-old it's not going to happen every year oh like last year opening day i passed to 120 and i regret it because i didn't have another opportunity at a bigger buck later that year but i didn't want to i didn't want to give up my tag on opening day you know i don't blame you yeah (laughs) um But so someone made a comment about like, you know, you're part of the problem because you're not sticking to like proper deer management. And I'm like, if I was only choosing four years old or five years old, whatever, better, I would probably get a buck with a bow every 10 years. You know what I mean? Honestly, you can only, you can only hunt what's in your area. Absolutely. And like, I'm trying to hunt the oldest deer in my area. And I know I've, I've mentioned scores a lot, but like, score isn't what's important to me. Like I'm looking for the oldest deer. And I I think that's something that like I'm doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And don't understand the pressure that we face, like the other hunter. I mean, the amount of hunters that hunt 
our property line, like it might as well be public. It's just, I don't know. People are so opinionated and, you know, they're behind a keyboard so they think they can say whatever they want and they wouldn't say it to your face. Absolutely. I feel like people kind of, I don't know, people don't really understand what kind of pressure and stuff we deal with here in Pennsylvania. And, you know, a three-year-old in, in that makes it through gun season, that's like an anomaly, honestly. A buddy of ours actually shot one this year. It was his target buck for, what, two, three years? Mm-hmm. And uh, he had it score or aged, and I think it came out to be like eight and a half, wasn't it? Something like that. That was like absolutely unheard of in Pennsylvania. I don't know. Was it eight and a half or was it was seven six, and a half? I thought it was six and a half. I think it was older than that. Six and a half or seven and a half. It might have been seven and a half. Absolutely but, unheard of in Pennsylvania yeah. regardless. But, you know, you mentioned like the whole score thing. I feel like we throw the score thing around on the podcast a lot. Not necessarily because of like, A, it's a big buck or anything like that, but kind of more to give you like an idea in your head of like how big it actually is you know well i can tell you an eight point it's an eight point yeah well and score and age kind of go hand in hand as well right i mean mean, to an extent like i guess so if you're thinking about the average buck in our state you're not gonna get typically an absolute giant stud two and a half year old all that often right when you get up to three and a half four and a half you're getting those giants mpa yeah mpa that's what i mean like our our average, I believe I heard this somewhere, the average age of Pennsylvania buck, I believe, is two and a half years old. Makes sense. In Pennsylvania. Like, that's their average lifespan. That's how long they live on average because they either get hit by a car, they get shot, they get wounded, they die from natural causes, whatever. It's really tough. <laughs> if you held out every year for a three and a half year old or better, I think Rachel hit it nail on the head, eight to 10 years. You would might kill a buck with your with your bow. You oh yeah. You wait for that opportunity once every five years, maybe. Yeah. It's insane. Like we just don't get it. And um yeah, that's that's a shame. Social media is one of those well, things that is a shame to deal with. And 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 even if someone wants to shoot a year and a half old, mm-hmm. it's a legal buck. I don't care. Like no, it's their tag. Say they don't legally judge the way you hunt if you're doing it legally and ethically. I'm not gonna. I'll be happy if you're happy. I'm gonna have for you. So it's yeah. like I get irritated when people come after me, you know. And, and I think in Pennsylvania, like the fact that I am trying to target a three year old or better every year is, you know, that's a that's tough to do. I'm not gonna kill a buck every year doing that. And I don't know. I. I'm not saying like I deserve a pat on the back for it, but I don't deserve to be like dragged through the mud for it. Yeah. I think this is full circle back to like the first thing we talked about on this podcast was that people see you as an easy target potentially because you're a female hunter. You, well, first off, the image of female hunters right now has been so tarnished. Oh yeah, totally. So if people don't truly know who you are, they don't listen to this podcast that you do or the podcast you've done with WCB or whatever. They don't spend the time to actually learn who you are. It's easy to look at a picture and immediately pass judgment because one, they're a shitty person and Two, it's typically because they're envious. I mean, that's what it boils down to. They're a shitty person, not she's a shitty person. I said that, didn't I? <laughs> no, you said yeah. you're a shitty person. You said I'm a shitty person. No, I did not say you're a shitty person. <laughs> I was talking about the person on social media. Hey, we got an argument the first time we met. Maybe I am a shitty person. No, no, not even remotely. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a pretty big argument. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. No. I think you know what I'm saying. The person on social media is either A, a shitty person, or B, they're envious of you. Yeah, the keyboard warriors, man. Yeah, that's what it boils down to. But mm. I don't know. If, if, well, 
Uh, my husband just tells me I need thicker skin. So, I mean, well, I need to learn to let it go. Enough just, is enough, too. I'm the type of person, like, I obviously don't back down from an argument. Be prepared to get it back. We are getting closer on time. Yeah. However, I'm going to save the story for later. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. Rachel, I so much appreciate you taking time out of your night and coming on talking to, like, two goofballs. Mm. But <laughs> can you throw out there everything, all the fun stuff, all the social medias, everything? Let people know where you are. Okay. I'm Biddy Boosh on Instagram, which is Biddy, like, Itty Bitty, and then Boosh, B-O-O-S-H. Don't add me on Facebook, please. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And I'm not on TikTok. Well, okay, I'm on TikTok as Bitty Boosh, but I've never posted anything. I don't understand the TikTok. I just like watching other people's. I dig it. I'm with (laughs) you. I'm not creative enough to do it either, so I feel you. Sorry, I did one the other day that I thought was hilarious. I got like 90 views. (laughs) 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 Don't even worry about it. (laughs) The secret to TikTok is posting a a video of a really big deer and then getting in huge arguments yeah there. how about that okay we had one viral tiktok it was like absolutely ridiculous we got like one hundred twenty thousand views or something mm-hmm. on this one like pittsburgh deer absolute giant for like suburban hunting pittsburgh you can't even hunt it right there i don't think because it's all so suburban oh, no no it's, it's in a neighborhood it's in a neighborhood literally but we got so many freaking views on it, it was stupid yeah. there were so many people because of course like, that's not a big deer yeah. it's like 170 inch deer <laughs> dude, dude i i put like a, a clickbait heading on it you know like pennsylvania giant right now mind you this is pennsylvania this deer in the video at the time is probably a 150 to 160 class stud typical that might be bigger buddy well that was so the video's funny part is the video rachel came from february i saw this deer in february he was still holding i was driving to work and i videoed him and then i got another encounter with him on like november 8th he was he was standing over top of a doe in someone's front yard, 30 yards from my car. And I, I had to turn around and go back. And I pulled into this person's driveway, not giving a damn about them and whatsoever. Took pictures of this deer. And I bet you it was every bit of 180, 190. It was huge. <laughs> Just Absolutely an absolute monster. And people were on there arguing, oh, it's a young deer. That is no giant. I was just, I mean, you'll have to look us up and find the video. And then you can tell us if that's a, a shooter up in Northwest PA. How's that sound? <laughs> it sounds like a shooter to me, but I'll check it out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I appreciate that. But all right. Sidebarred. That's it, folks. We can't we can't keep her all night. Thank you, Rachel. We really appreciate your time tonight. All right. Thanks for having me. 